Today we're going to be uh, in Jonah chapter 1, looking at verses 11 through 19, or 16 will be better. There is no 19. 11 through 16. And my hope is, is that we go through this, uh, that we're going to see that the power of God to calm storms when seen by unbelievers will bring them to repentance. That's where we want to get to. But getting there, let's look at what's happening with Jonah here in these verses. So for, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. Let's stand up. Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. Follow along as I read. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. You are good, Lord, and we are grateful that we can come together. We can sing of your power and of your grace. And we pray that you would help us to see you today. That we would hear from you. Incline our hearts to your word, Lord, and not to selfish gain. We pray that with the psalmist. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 11, they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Imagine probable that these sailors and maybe even Jonah at this point are thinking the lot has been cast. Jonah is found out. His guilt is is not just observed and known now, but has been confessed by him. He's the guilty one on the boat. It's possible and even probable that maybe the sailors at this point are thinking, okay, okay, Now the storm is going to start calming down. The guilty one has confessed. He's told us it's his fault. Maybe there's a hope that at this point the storm is going to calm. But what does the passage say? The sea grew more and more tempestuous. The opposite happens. Jonah's found out. The lot is cast. It falls on Jonah. He says, it's me. I'm running. I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then it gets worse. You can imagine that. I mean, the, just the intensity of the storm from the very beginning as it, as it began. And these sailors who are familiar with seas and storms and waves and, and managing through bad storms, they've been terrified from the beginning. Now, this is growing more and more and more intense. And they're thinking, something's got to be done. We've got to do something to save our lives and to calm this sea. And they don't know what to do. And so they look to Jonah and they say, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to you? so that these seas will calm down. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Look at Jonah's response in verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. 
Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah's answer, they ask him, what should we do to you? Jonah's answer is, throw me in. You ever thought about that? Why does he say that? I mean, these sailors, it says here, they just tell us what to do. We'll do anything. If Jonah says to him, look, it's my fault. I stand guilty before God. God told me, go to Nineveh and preach. And I'm fleeing from his presence. That's why this is happening. What needs to happen is we need to turn the ship around right now. And you need to get me back to Joppa and I need to obey the Lord. That's what needs to happen. If he would have said that, certainly the sailors would have said, okay, that's what we're going to do. Let's turn the ship around. Let's get you back so that you obey Yahweh. But he doesn't say that. He says, just throw me in. Now, maybe there's some kind of a, uh, a glimmer of hope happening in, in, in Jonah's life. And he's, he's thinking, well, we're all going to die. And so maybe it's better for just me to die than the whole crew on the ship to die with me. But he's not yet at a point of repentance. He's not at a point where he says, look, this is what's wrong. And this is what needs to be made right. We need to get me back to obedience. We need to make me back to where the Lord told me to go in the first place. He doesn't do that. He just says, throw me in. We're going to see uh, again in chapter 4 for Jonah. For him, it's, it, it, and he says this, it's better for him to die than to obey the Lord and see the Lord change the hearts of people that he hates. So he says, just kill me. Just throw me over. Throw me into the water. Nevertheless, nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It's interesting, they don't do it. What do we need to do? Tell us what to do. Throw me over. Like they, they, instead, they're not willing to do that. They're, they want to try in their own strength. If we could just try harder, we'll just do the best that we can, and maybe we can get to dry land can't happen that's kind of our flesh right that's what we all want and kind of gravitate towards i don't want to obey i don't want to do what is necessary i don't know what necessarily want to do what god has told me to do i'll just try in my own strength i'll try to make it to heaven in my own strength i'll try to do this i'm going to try it in my own strength first but just as the sailors find out you can't do it the winds the waves they grow more and more intense and what they find out they're there's no strength against God. They're helpless. They're hopeless. It's useless. So verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you amazing they call out to Yahweh wonderful idol worshipers here on this ship have realized their only hope is the Lord the maker of the sea and the dry land as Jonah has said you look at what they pray just amazing Lord let us not perish for this man's life 
And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These men care more about Jonah, a foreigner, than Jonah cares about the Ninevites. We have Jonah who's fleeing, right? Jonah wants the people of Nineveh, 120,000 of them. He wants them to die without the Lord. I mean, we get to chapter 4, as clear as anything. God says go. He doesn't go because he has a hunch that if he goes, God's not going to judge Nineveh because God is a merciful God and he's going to save them instead. And he doesn't want that. He can't stand for that. So he flees. There's a desire, a hatred of Nineveh in him that would desire that they would die apart from the Lord. And then you have these idol-worshiping unbelievers on the boat that are unwilling for this one man to perish. And are doing everything in their strength to save this one man. Jonah being out loved by idol worshipers. It should never be. should never be. For those of us in Christ, it should never be. These sailors have the supernatural working against them. I mean, it would, in the flesh, humanly thinking, they have every right to, to, to want to throw him over. Right? When he says, hey, just throw me into the sea, I mean, while he's talking, right? You would think in the flesh while he's telling them what to do, ah, right? He's going in because they're, they know it's your fault. We're going to die because of you. This storm is because of you. And humanly speaking, when he says to them, just throw me in, you would think they would say, yeah, I was already thinking that. I was considering that very thing. But they don't. They want to save his life. And we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord who tells us if we follow him, he gives us his Holy Spirit in us and that the fruit of that spirit working in us is supernatural love, not man-made love, God love, love that comes from God. We as followers of God, as believers in Christ, should never be outloved by the world. And yet here we see Jonah being outloved by these idol worshipers. And they cry out, you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. The amazing truth-filled statement in their prayer, he always does what pleases him. These sailors understand that God, this, this storm, this tempest is God's doing. The question is, does this please him? This disaster, this calamity. These men on a ship, they're in their own minds innocent. Before God, they're not. This storm comes up. It's threatening to tear their ship apart. There's other ships probably on the sea that are being affected by this terrible storm. Does this kind of thing please the Lord? The answer is absolutely. The sailors are right. This is the Lord's doing. We see that here. This is the Lord's doing. And why does he do it? To get Jonah back to business. To get Jonah to obey him. He's graciously coming after Jonah. You may think, but isn't that evil? Isn't it evil for the Lord to use such calamity and devastating ways to get someone's attention? My response would be, how could it be evil for the Lord to do anything that would cause someone to hope in him? If the result is belief, if the result is hoping in God, then the means are gracious, whatever they are. And the Lord is coming after, graciously coming after his servant. 
Jonah is his man. God is sovereign. God reigns. When Jonah bailed, God could have just said, all right, Steve, you're going to leave me? Go. See ya. He could have done that, right? He loves Jonah. He's graciously coming after Jonah. These sailors are praying, Lord, we don't want to kill this man. We recognize this is from you. You've done as it pleased you. We don't know what else to do. And so in verse 15, 16, they pick up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Is it possible for us to even comprehend these two verses? I mean, can you imagine, like, this storm, when it comes, brings intense fear in these sailors. They're terrified. But they're Terror just increases and the waves increase. The, the fury of the storm just gets more and more. And it's just becoming more and more tempestuous, it says over and over again. More and more tempestuous. So whatever the waves were at the beginning to cause fear in sailors who didn't get afraid of waves. They're more intense now. And they pick up Jonah and it says they hurl him into those waves. Those waves that are threatening to tear the ship apart. Those waves that are probably coming up taller and and this ship going down into the depths. Those waves, they pick up this man and hurl him, it says, into those waves. And he hits the water and instantly there's calm. This ship being threatened to be torn apart, rocking back and forth. They're afraid for their lives and instantly it just floating on calm waters. Can you imagine what that must be like? No, we can't, okay? I'm just, I can't even comprehend what it was like for those sailors. Instant calm. Their fear increases. You can imagine that. (laughs) They're afraid of the storm. Then they're afraid of the Lord. And then he calms the storm and their fear intensifies. But this is good fear. This is worship fear. They worship the Lord. They're fearing the Lord as worshipers now. It says they offer a sacrifice. I don't know what that looks like on a ship. But they offer sacrifices to Yahweh, it says. These idol worshipers. They made vows, it says. Likely these vows are to live for him. And this is beautiful, okay? When do these sailors make their vows? In the calm, right? I mean, there's many people now even. There's a lot of people who when the storm hits, going to lose their job, kids really sick, things aren't going well in marriage. Whatever the storm is, then they'll pray vows that they have no intentions of keeping. Lord, if you will just, 
get me out of this mess. I'll serve you forever. And then calm comes. They keep the job or their kid gets better or the marriage gets a little bit better or whatever it is. And they just go along like, God, that's not... These men don't make the vows when the storm is intense. They make their vows when the calm has come. This is beautiful. When many humans would have said, "Ah, okay, we're safe now, let's go. They're like, no, 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 no. We realize we're safe physically, but we know we're not safe spiritually. And they make these commitments, these promises to the Lord, Yahweh. Ironically, Jonah is fleeing because he didn't want God to save some Gentile pagans, the Ninevites. But then God saves these Gentile pagans through Jonah's disobedience. And where's Jonah when he saves them? He doesn't see it. He's sinking. He's out in the water. That's, that's, you know, as we've talked about the Great Commission and our, the call for us to obey the Great Commission, that's how it is. God saves who he's going to want to save. God is saving people. Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of hell and you and I will not stop it. Whether I go and present the gospel or not, the church is growing and God is glorified. Here's the thing. When I obey him, then there's opportunity that I'm going to be a part of the blessing of the miracle of God saving someone and taking them from what was a dead heart, a heart of stone and creating, giving them a heart of flesh and life. And when I'm disobedient, when I don't obey the Lord, like Jonah's not obeying the Lord, then I miss that. I'm not part of that. But God's saving God's glorified. His church is advancing. His kingdom is moving forward. But are we like Jonah? Are we just sinking in the water, disobedient? Are we there seeing the fruit of obedience? The fruit of God's work in someone's heart. I mentioned earlier that I hope that we see that the power of God to calm storms when seen by unbelievers will bring them to repentance. These sailors have seen God's power and kindness in calming the storm, and they believe. But not everyone sees like these sailors. You think of the Pharisees. They saw the Lord calm a lot of storms, different kinds of storms, but a lot of storms. Saw the Lord do a lot of things. What does Jesus say? Those seeing, they don't see. No hearing, they don't hear. That's not the kind of seeing I'm talking about when I say that that the power of God to calm storms when seen by unbelievers will bring them to repentance that's not the kind of seeing that I mean I'm talking about the kind of seeing that God gives in 2 Corinthians 4 6 is the kind of seeing that I'm talking about for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the kind of seeing that leads people to repentance. This is the kind of, the, of seeing that the sailors experience. But how does that happen? How does, how does the Lord shine in our hearts? How does, how does it happen that we have this kind of seeing that brings us to repentance? And it's the same as we've been talking about these last weeks. It's by something greater than Jonah. It's through Jesus. 
Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, to his disciples, something greater than Jonah has come. And it's through that something greater that he gives sight, that he, he helps dead hearts be awakened to the glory of Christ. People need to see that Jesus is greater than Jonah. In three ways I want to look at that Jesus is greater than Jonah this week. First, Jesus is greater than Jonah because he stayed on the boat to calm the storm. Go to Luke chapter 8. Starting with verse 22. Luke 8, starting with verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples... And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Isn't it fascinating, the similarities between this text and the Jonah text? We have this storm brewing on the sea, on the lake here. You have a guy that's sleeping on the boat, just like Jonah goes and falls asleep for different reasons. One is trusting, one is fleeing and in denial. The disciples are freaked out, scared for their lives, just like the sailors. They wake Jesus up. Don't you care? We're about to die. We are going to perish. Help. Jesus rebukes the wind, the waves, and it's just instantly calm. And just like with the sailors in Jonah, the disciples respond the same way. They're terrified. Who is this? Who is this, who's this man who, who can speak and even wind and waves obey him? Jesus is greater than Jonah. Because his presence on the ship is what brought hope. Like the sailors, the, the disciples are afraid. Because they see God and the power of God. Jonah was thrown from the boat to bring calm to the seas. Jesus' presence on the boat was what the disciples needed. And it's what we need. We need Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jonah. His authority over the wind and waves reveals how much greater he is than Jonah. Second, Jesus is greater than Jonah because he has authority over all the storms in our life. Look at the rest of of chapter 8, verses 26 all the way through the end. In 26 through 39, it talks about Jesus healing the man who had legion of demons in him. Jesus casts out the legion of demons, bringing calm to the storm in this man's heart. You go to the next section, 40 through the end, and we have two different things where Jesus heals the woman who had the issue of bleeding, bringing calm to her life 
when she had spent all of her money on doctors to no avail. This woman had gone from doctor to doctor, spent everything she had, no hope, no hope, no hope. She comes up to Jesus believing and touches just the, just the edge of his garment in instant healing. It says it in the passage. She rejoices that, and, con- and confesses, it was me. I'm the one that touched him, and he healed me instantly, bringing calm to her heart. Jesus, in the same text, raises the daughter of Jairus, who had died, bringing calm to the storm in this family's home and heart. Jesus is greater than Jonah because he has authority over all the storms in our lives. Jesus gathers his disciples before he's going to leave the earth. In Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority, all authority in all places for all time has been given to me. So go. Go and make disciples. This is the same disciples that had heard him say, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves like we looked at last week. But he tells them, the power is me. I'm greater than Jonah. You've seen me calm literal storms of waves and wind. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You have seen, you've been proven to that I have all authority. So trust me and go. Make disciples. Lean on me and go make disciples. All authority. The question is, will we serve him? As obediently as wind and waves and demons and sickness and death obey him. And third, Jesus is greater than Jonah because he threw himself into the greatest storm to save us. And this is the calming of the storm that unbelievers need to see. Jesus willingly is cast into the tempest of God's wrath. You think of the storm in Jonah chapter 1 and the waves. That storm does not even come close to the intensity of the storm that is God's wrath. A just and righteous storm against sin and sinners. And Jonah being thrown from the boat... God calms the storm. But Jonah's obedience could have calmed the storm. Jesus is greater than Jonah because Jesus' obedience was to be thrown into the storm. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. But there's... Agreement. There's mutual agreement between father and son. It's not a picture of what so many now are, are referring to as, as divine child abuse, where God the Father is this evil father who, 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 with legs kicking and screaming, throws his son into his own wrath. There's agreement. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In fact, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is far greater than Jonah because he throws himself into the greatest storm ever on our behalf. 1 John 2, 2 says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. He willingly lays down his life. He is willingly cast into the storm of God's wrath. Why? For us. Because he's the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfier of God's wrath. He's the calmer of the storm. The storm of the fury of God's wrath is calmed only in Christ. God's wrath is satisfied. You picture the sea and the sailors and their response and, and, and the calming of the storm in Jonah. And just as surely and completely as that storm went from intense fury to perfect peace and calm, Jesus has perfectly calmed the wrath of God, the storm of his wrath for those who are in Christ. For those who come to Jesus believing on him as Savior and Lord, as Master, God's wrath is satisfied. The sea is calm. And so what ought we to do? I'm going to address two groups for that. If you don't know him, if you're like the sailors, if you're serving other gods, if you're serving yourself, not surrender to Jesus as the Lord of your life, then come to him. Come to Jesus. That's, that's what he offers. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. To come to him. There's no other way. And try to row harder and harder and get to heaven on your own. And try to be as good as you can possibly be and somehow earn the favor of God and somehow appease his wrath against sin. It can't be done. We're just as hopeless and helpless to do that as these sailors were in the midst of that ocean of trying to get themselves across to dry land. It's impossible. Can you imagine God the Father throwing his son into the fury of his own wrath punishing him for infinite sins on the cross and pouring his wrath out on him if there was another way? Jesus praised that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? If there's any other way, let it be, but not my will, your will be done. There's no other way but through Christ. And so come, come to Jesus believing, repent and follow him. I encourage you to do that today. I, I would love it if, if even during this, this last song that we sing in a few minutes, you just come and grab my arm. Let's go out and, and let's, let's pray together. Let's rejoice together. Let's, let's together experience how God takes you from darkness into light and, and saves you not just today, but saves you forever and ever and ever. I would love, I would love. I know others here that would love to celebrate that with you today to come come to jesus but what about those of us who know him what should we do what ought we to do i encourage you obey him don't don't be like jonah go to nineveh 
Let's, let's be those who follow Jesus and, and hear him say, all authority has been given to me, so go. And we would be people who say, we, we know what you've done. We know what this meant. We say yes. We'll go. We'll make disciples. We'll go to Nineveh. We'll go to wherever. We'll go to our neighbors. We'll make disciples. We'll obey and Paul says in Ephesians 1.4 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You just let that sink in. I know we, we reference that verse a lot. Lance does, I do, Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be, what, holy and blameless. That's true of every person in Christ. Can you imagine that? You, me, are holy and blameless. We talked about a month, month and a half ago now, about the holiness of God. Set apart in all of his ways. Unapproachable. Except in Jesus, who has calmed the storm for us. And now the scripture teaches if we're in Christ, we're a new creation and we are holy and we are blameless. Not because of anything we have done, but because of all that he has accomplished. Because he threw himself into the storm. And so why should we obey? Why should we as followers of Jesus obey? Because he is Lord and because he has all authority? Absolutely. But also because of who we are in Christ. We are holy and blameless. Our identity is in Christ. We are a new creation, set apart, holy, blameless. In other words, we've been credited with the righteousness of Christ. God has counted us righteous, Paul says in Romans chapter 4. He's counted us righteous. In other words, the Lord sees us and treats us as if we live like Jesus lived. We're holy and blameless before him. But what does Paul say in Ephesians, the same book in chapter 4, verse 1? I therefore urge you. The therefore means because all that is true. Because he chose you from before the foundation of the world. Because in Christ you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because he made you holy and blameless. Because he predestined you for adoption. Because he set his love on you. Because he uh, gave you his Holy Spirit. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on your behalf. Because those things are true. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. It is sin for us to disobey the Lord in any way. And he's told us, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. It's, It's sin for us to disobey him in that. And not one of us, not one of us sitting here has does it perfectly. There's there's no one here that's not like a little Jonah when it comes just to the Great Commission, right? Some of you are sitting here like, I'm big Jonah. Some of you may feel that, but, but we're all guilty. 
We're all disobedient. The Lord says, go and make disciples. And there are times when we purposefully, knowingly say no. I'm not willing. I'm ashamed. I'm not doing it. We, we're all disobedient. We, we, none of us obey the Great Commission perfectly. Every one of us miss opportunities to make disciples on purpose. But you think about what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and who you are in Christ. If Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 4 is true then God treats us as if we have never missed an opportunity to present the gospel. We are holy and blameless in Christ, even as Great Commission followers. That's how God treats us, because we're hidden in Christ. And so if that's true, then as Paul says to the Ephesians, start acting like that's true. Start acting like it. Become what you already are. Become in practice what he has made you in position. Start doing what he's told you to do, even as he treats you as if you've done it perfectly. You're holy and blameless before him as a a great commission obeyer. So start acting like it. Start acting the way he treats you and become what you already are. It's my prayer for us is that we would see Jesus is far greater, worthy, greater than Jonah, greater than me, greater than yourself. And that by the power of the Spirit, we would become what we already are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace, Lord. Your grace is so much greater than we could possibly comprehend. To think that you would look on us in our sinfulness and our deadness and prove your love to us. And that while we were still sinners, nothing lovely in us, Christ died for us. Your grace that shows us that if we are hidden in Christ, We are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as you chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before you. Our minds can't comprehend that kind of grace, Lord. We know, we know how we live. We know that we do not act like we really are in your presence. We know that we do not obey you the way that you have called us to. And yet you treat us as if we are perfect. You have counted us righteous in Christ. We are unworthy. And so, Lord, we look at we look at Jesus and we look at your grace and we look at the gospel. And we look at the truth that Jesus is so much greater than Jonah and that Jesus willingly for the joy set before him hurled himself into the storm of your wrath. And we're grateful and we want to respond. We want to become what you have made us. We want to be in practice what you have made us in your presence. Holy and blameless.
We want to obey you because you're worthy of obedience and we were unworthy of your grace. So, Father, would you help us, Lord? I know that this room is filled with people who struggle every day to obey you. But, God, would you help us to throw ourselves again and again on the cross of Jesus to the praise of your glorious grace, knowing that it is in you and not in us to obey. And that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, as you say in Ephesians 1, is at work on our behalf. And that if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of our flesh. So help us, God. Help us to see the beauty, the treasure that is you. And to joyfully and willingly strive for obedience. And would you sanctify us by your Spirit. Grow us up, Lord. Help us to look more like Jesus and act more like you have made us to be. Help us to be not like Jonah, but to be like Jesus and to proclaim and bring the kingdom day after day after day, Lord. Help us to obey this great commission that you have given us because you are worthy. We love you. We praise you. I want to pray, Father, for those who, who do not know you, Lord, who are still in darkness. As your word says in Ephesians 2, who are still dead in their trespasses and sins, I pray, Lord, that you would shine in their hearts and that today would be the day of salvation, that they would believe the gospel, that they would believe in you, Jesus, who threw yourself into God's wrath for them and be saved today. We love you and we thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.